Hey, Taylor. How are you, girl? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You know, just trying to live the dream and kill the game every day. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> how's, how's been training your classes going? It's been going really well. Um, I actually just took a week off, though, from training to go on a little vacation. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? I went out to uh, Breckenridge, actually, to do some camping out in the mountains. It was pretty spectacular, kind of cold. I mean, Breck is already. Yeah, Breck is very beautiful. That's awesome. That's awesome. What was the best part about your trip? Um, probably just getting to disconnect from the world for a little while and, uh, you know, really enjoy my surroundings and, um, just be one with nature, a little too one with nature. Um, my tent kind of gave out at the very end there. We went to the primitive campgrounds and it got a little sketchy. Oh, I'm sorry. I definitely had that happen before. Bad tents and bad camping gear makes for an epic trip. No bueno sometimes, but definitely an epic trip. Oh, yeah. Uh, And it was kind of it was good timing because it was there at the very end. But I'm definitely going to have to do some replacing in some of my gear. I know you are into that kind of stuff, right? Like, do you have any recommendations? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Nemo. Uh, they kind of came on the scene a little while ago and they've been around for a while, but their tents are awesome. And it's funny enough, the owner of the company had an experience much like you and it just failed him and he was infuriated with it. And then, so then he set out to create amazing, amazing products. And if you're going to be doing like a lot of backpacking, you know, they make an Aurora that is really good. Um, but I would definitely check them out. And if you decide to purchase anything from them, if you use the promo code sends and suffers 20, you get 20% off. You help the podcast. Okay. I'm sold. I'm definitely checking this out. All right. Well, hey, I look forward to seeing you in the gym later on this week, and I'm still excited. I'm going to try to catch one of your fitness classes, but I got to jump off here. But uh, it's good catching up with you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds great. I'll see you later. Lovers and haters, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you haven't already, please follow, like, and subscribe to Sends and Suffers podcast. Every bit counts, and we would love to hear from you. So take a moment to leave a comment. These go a long way and help others know what they're getting into and how good this show is. If this is one of your favorite podcasts, consider becoming a Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you are investing in Sends and Suffers podcast. And it's like buying your boy a taco, hanging out and getting to know the good, good that is coming your way. Monthly recaps, early show releases and all the other cool things that we do. Thank you so much for listening to Sends and Suffers podcasts. Today's guest is Pedro, founder of Lakaida Ropes, Arkansas's first outdoor climbing rope company that manufactures climbing gear. This is an interview that has been a long time coming. He has been hustling, grinding. This interview is a little old. It was taken last horseshoe hell. So if y'all were there and you saw La Breva, I miss every one of you. It was a beautiful event. One of the things I love about this event so much, Horseshoe Hill, is the people it brings to this event from all around the world, all around the country. And I got to meet one of the coolest dudes who's coming up in the climbing world. Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, I present to you Pedro, owner of Lakaida Ropes, and a new homie. Enjoy the episode. Who are you? Where are you from? And what is your connection to the outdoors? Right on. So, uh, yeah, Pedro Samarua. I am a husband, uh, father of three daughters. Uh, I'm a senior merchant at Walmart. I buy planters and birds. It's my mm-hmm. day job. And I'm the founder and owner of Lakaida Ropes. Now Lakaida, the rock climbing brand, the first one in Arkansas. Um, I think, uh, yeah, and I've been in Northwest Arkansas for about four years. Bentonville and, and Springdale most recently. Um, I'm from Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, mm-hmm. that's what that was high school and college. 
but uh, I have spent several years in Mexico and Brazil, elementary school. Okay. And then I was uh, six years in the army, three of which were in Okinawa, Japan. Oh, wow. So kind of been a lot of, lived a lot of different places. Dude, you have been moving and grooving since a very young age. So did your parents move here when you were like, what was, obviously you spent your childhood years in Mexico and Brazil. Um, and then was it just job relocation or what brought you, what brought you to the States? And then what made you decide to join the army or join the service? Yeah. So when I wrapped up my studies at the university of Florida, I was a Gator. It was all the good years when we were winning all the championships in basketball and football, nice. Urban Meyer, uh, Billy Donovan years. Uh, I, I enlisted in the army right after that. And it's a, it's an 18 x-ray contract is what they call it. So you can try out for special forces. And if you get through everything, you get your green beret. If you fail anything, they'll send you at that point to Afghanistan as a regular army infantryman. Um, so it was a bit of a gamble, um, not being an officer, right. Not taking the commission, but that was the fastest route to be a green beret. So that, uh, why, um, variety of reasons, duty to country, I wanted, I knew I wanted to do it at some point in my life. It's like probably mm -hmm. better younger than later. Yeah. Um, I had no idea of the benefits. Like I'd end up using the post 9-11 GI bill to go to grad school. Like that was not on my radar, um, at all. Uh, but, um, and also just seeking out something different sense of venture. Also, I, I need to say this. I was, uh, I, in a, in a rare moment of, of situational awareness, I realized I was just like another frat boy with borderline substance abuse problems with alcohol mm -hmm. and I needed to mature. And so, uh, yeah, it did that in short order. <laughs> it grew me up, man. Yeah, dude. Wow. Yeah. I was about to say, so I can see that being a, a wide awakening to in order to join. Yeah. And then, so, and then how did you, how did you and your family move from Brazil and Mexico to the States? So my dad worked for, uh, Clorox in Mexico and he worked for Pepsi in Brazil. He's a, uh, consumer packaged goods, corporate guy, you know, mm -hmm. started out in accounting, moved his way up to general management. And, and so that's why I moved around so much in my youth. And then, um, what took us to Okinawa was the army. That was my okay. first permanent duty station in Okinawa, Japan. And you were along on your own by that point. Yeah. I, that, that was like, I was, I was on my own, like had my own place. Uh, I met my wife while I was in training at Fort Bragg uh, okay. to be a Green Beret. So it's like three years of training between Fort Benning and Fort Bragg. It's a long, long training. It's like getting another degree yeah. basically. Um, and together her and I relocated to Okinawa and we had these grand ambitions, Mario, to like go see Tokyo and do the nightlife scene, climb Mount Fuji. And she was going to get, I was already scuba certified through advance. So she was going to get her open water. Okay. Scuba dive. Cause the scuba diving is huge on Okinawa. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very people mo most often compare it to Hawaii in terms of sea life and like accessibility to, to the, the reefs. Really? So I always right think there. of, I always, I guess I don't, I don't know the geography cause I've never been there. I always just think of it as one giant big city, but yeah. Okinawa is surprisingly rural. Um, it, the locals would say it's akin to like the Alabama of oh, Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And historically there were separate peoples, like the Okinawan lineage goes back to the Ryukyu kingdom, which was its own island kingdom separate from Honshu, mainland Japan, Tokyo, Kyoto. Like they were separate countries at one point. Wow. And then, so was this like originally just a kingdom of island nations? Yeah. And, and then, then the shogunate united them much uh, later. And that was the end of the Ryukyu like empire. Wow. Which traded with China as like its own country out of Okinawa. It's kind of wild. What? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize I could get a history lesson. I'm into this. Yeah. Okay. So you met your wife there and I'm assuming she was in the service too as well. Uh, she was coincidentally just like in town celebrating a friend's birthday. And we met at the Cadillac Ranch Country Western Bar in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And then she took the plunge and moved with me to Japan a year later. <laughs> yeah. Good on her. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then, so you go from there. You finish that up and then how, and then what brought you, I guess your job currently now with Walmart is what brought you here. Yeah. 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 So, uh, our first daughter was born in Japan and I mean, 13 hours away from family, like just super remote. We, we knew we wanted to be closer now that we had kids, the family and all those grand ambitions. We're going to see Sam Reap and Angkor Wat too. Like mm -hmm. 
all went out the window when we got pregnant because you can't scuba dive, can't hike, you sh- probably shouldn't hike television. You definitely shouldn't like do the Tokyo nightlife scene when you're pregnant. No, no. So that was the impetus. And I knew like, okay, I need to buckle down, um, do something when I get out that allows us to keep like a lifestyle that I want for the family. Mm-hmm. And so B school was that. So I, I got my MBA at Duke, uh, straight coming out of the military. Um, and that was the post 9-11 GI bill. Um, and, and that is what brought me to Walmart. So Doug McMillan, current CEO came and spoke while I was a student. Uh-huh. He was still relatively new in his tenure as CEO at that point, like a year okay. or two in. And I was like, dude, this guy is visionary. He gets the millennial like ideals. Like I could get behind this. So I interviewed the rest is history. I came in a finance and strategy rotational program for, for MBAs. And then, um, I pivoted, I realized quick, kind of quickly, like within a year that finance probably wasn't going to be my passion. Um, so I pivoted to buying, which is sick because you can basically just pick products all day. Um, and work with suppliers and develop products. Um, it's really fun. It's, it's seriously fun. So that's kind of what got me into products and retail. And so you can start to see how this weaves into the story of Lakaida and launching a yeah. rock climbing brand. Real quick, just, just, you know, excuse my ignorance here, but like when you're buying, you can also help developers create programs. So as a buyer, you also are indicating or giving advice of them what products they should be creating in the future and, or having them create a product for you. 100%. I didn't know that. So one thing like digression, but like in the birds category that we're trying to bring attention to is, and in planters, cause they both use resin plastics, um, polypropylene and polyethylene. Why aren't we using certified recycled materials? And so that's something we're trying to bring awareness to, um, and get our suppliers to get on board with. Cause you know, they tell me like, well, it's very cost. It increases the cost. It's not cost effective to get certified. I'm like, well, what are our options? Maybe you can't do hundred percent this year, but can you do 30, 50%, something that's meaningful and we'll start this like journey together. Uh, you do. Yeah. You do have a lot of say in developing the future of like retail, like packaged goods. That's interesting because, you know, I just speaking from, you know, the outside, yeah. you know, the, the customer side of it, I always just imagine that Walmart or a company of that size wouldn't really care or they don't, they don't empower their people to be like, let's make this place better. It's just like, we'll just get the job done. And so, but like, I mean, I think that's the misconception on the other side of it too. And so is that like a standard thing that companies, all companies are trying to do? Is that kind of like Walmart and where your team is and you guys have been given that freedom and that flexibility to kind of like do good in that realm? Yeah. Um, I've worked for three companies in my short four and a half year corporate career since the army and business school. And I'd say I've, I've seen the gamut from like companies that truly probably don't care. And it's more of like a nuisance to have to conform to like mm-hmm. environmentally sustainable or whatever yeah. know, progressive yeah. initiatives, whatever saves the planet yeah. to, um, you know, kind of, yeah, we'll donate some money to, I'm going to give Walmart all the props. They, and they're, they're radically different from the Walmart of the nineties in that they genuinely empower buyers like myself to take our categories in whatever direction we want to, but they, they kind of set the print, like the, the goals, like aspire to have 100% sustainable packaging in the form of like recycled plastics, reduce or, or rather eliminate all styrofoam and do no mixed media. So plastic and cardboard makes it less uh. recyclable. So they are like on it. There's project gigaton, like there's all these different initiatives. And so as a buyer, like how do I prioritize one of these and like go after that for my, cause you know, if you're buying something that doesn't use styrofoam, then that's not really, you know, your goal. Right. Yeah. But if you're like me and you're buying planners made of plastic, make it recyclable. So, um, yeah, Walmart leans into sustainability, um, and like ethical, ethical sourcing mm-hmm. from a variety of perspectives. Oh, for an ethical sourcing for their, for their people that they're buying their products from, or is that also ethical sourcing? Cause they don't make any of their own products, do they? Um, no, like we don't own the factories except for we have vertically integrated. I think it's some like food products, but that's like, I don't buy food. I don't, I don't know. That's fair. But, uh, that's curious, but yeah, we, um, we get really deep into it with like, we'll go tour factories with our suppliers 
and kind of give feedback like, wait, you know, this is a safe work environment or this is not. Gen- I mean, yeah, it's no. generally like really safe and I've never had that issue. But um, yeah, like we have a lot of insight and say in what gets produced and how it gets produced. Um, and we have a whole arm of the company that's dedicated to auditing factories overseas to make sure that they conform to very strict human rights. What? Yeah. Like really? It's, it's a whole team at Walmart. Whoa, I would that. have never thought in a million years. Yeah. Wow. Brittany's uh, my counterpart's name. Who's like, you know, Pedro, you're sourcing this from Malaysia. So we're going to need to do a factory audit, you know, da, 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 and so we'll like figure it out. That's awesome. Yeah. That is, that's awesome. I mean, I understand cool. it's probably a nuisance for those countries, but at the same time, if we're trying, if they're trying to simply put, save the planet, because that's the easiest way. Like I think making the world a better place is a really object, like really kind of too broad of a stroke, like saving planet earth. That's great. So you, so your corporate career speaks for itself. And so we talked about this briefly. You talked about like how you got into some other things and you learned some supply chain and you learned this and you learned that. And then you had understand e-commerce and then you basically were talking about the jump that most people make is sell a little bit more, do a little bit of this and then go to a brand. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And then what gave you the confidence to just skip a ton of steps and go straight to the brand? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I left Walmart about a year and change, a year and a few months ago mm-hmm. to work at Marshalltown. They manufacture trowels um, and a variety of masonry tools. Um, that was a really good exposure to industrial manufacturing. Um, so have the retail buying experience, have the procurement and industrial manufacturing exposure slash experience. And then I uh, decided to buy a pallet of air fryers and do, and just try to flip that on Amazon as a reseller. And it worked like it was profitable. I sold all my air fryers and I was like, ah, I can do e-commerce. Now uh, speaking to the progression, right? The typical then next step is like, okay, find a, pro- you've proven you can do it. Now find a product that you can re- do on repeat, right? Something that's not so seasonal, like a baton. Uh, I have a friend who sells those. He basically drop ship vends them, buys them over here, sells them over on Amazon, and he like never touches product or inventory. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. he funds the money for the inventory mm-hmm. and reaps the profits. Um, that's, and then you, you do a few of those, and then maybe if there's adjacencies, like baton twirling, maybe baton uh, twirlers outfits or something, then you can start building a brand around that. Mm-hmm. So I jumped straight into that. So um, I, I jumped straight into ropes. Uh, and building a brand there with the idea of creating metered ropes. So meter marking the ropes um, for the benefit of the climber, safer repelling, easier to cut off your rope ends and know how much you have left. Um, we're also learning, like those were some of the core ideas for why I started it, mm-hmm. but we're learning other uses. Like uh, uh, we, we sold one to Cole Fennel, who writes the Arkansas rock climbing guidebooks. Mm-hmm. And now it's just a, for him, it can be used as just like a big ruler. And so now we know far more accurately the height of our routes, um, which uh-huh. has helped everybody, whether you're using a meter rope or not, to know if you have enough to make this climb and you don't have to like- Wait a minute, your ropes on them have the meters marked? Yeah. So we count down from the midpoint to the ends. So if it's a 60 meter rope, it'll say like midpoint and then we'll go in both directions, 29, 28, 27, 26. When we get to 25, we stop counting by ones and we start counting by fives. Then get back down to 10, five, and then we go by ones again, five, four, three, two, one. The idea being it helps people who cut their rope ends for various reasons. Oh, that's ingenious. But it's also an early warning system because the frequency, as it gets more frequent, it's like, hey, you're you need- coming to the end of your rappel. That's beautiful. So you've built in a way for people to know when they need to buy a new rope too. And that well too. That's, that's funny. I get a lot of people ask, it's like, well, how many times should I cut my rope? And I'm like, as a, as a, you know, as a coach for the last 20 years and a climbing guide, it's always kind of like, well, I mean, you'll kind of know, like you'll get on a route and you'll see that it's starting to get kind of short. And when it starts getting kind of short, that's what you want. You want to cut. Or if you know the area it is like very few people will just get their rope out and measure it and go through that whole process. So that's ingenious because that makes my life easier when I'm recommending a product, I can be like, okay, listen, if you get this, you'll know once you've, once you do three or four chops, it's time to like 
consider maybe using this for something else or, and, or just buy a new rope. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah no, that's ingenious. Yeah. Cause like, once again, I like it because it makes my job, you literally just made my job easier. <laughs> like now I can just be like, no, just do this. So like, I don't want to have to teach you, explain this like this. Well, show me. I'm like, this is like 20 years of screwing up and some of my screw ups you don't want. So yeah. 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 That's ingenious. Is that now what, what are some of the other products of the rope though? But I definitely want, when we go down, I didn't notice that. And so I'd like to look at that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we just launched uh, graphic tarps. So as we approach any group, um, category product group, uh, we want to do, we want to do it differently than it exists at the status quo. So meter ropes is that for ropes. Um, graphic tarps is ba- if you look at, you know, the broader market for tarps, they're generally monochromatic, you know, gray or black, and then they have a brand name somewhere on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit of thought goes a long way. So what we've done is we've partnered with climber artists um, so far that includes Kika McFarlane, Latasha Dunstan, and Karen Ceballos. We just brought on board and commissioned some designs for, and, uh, we are putting their art onto the, uh, tarps in a way that becomes a conversation piece and tells the story about the climber themselves. So like I have climbed here or she can ranch. And here's Kika's like rendition of the, um, well-recognized like entrance and yeah. like gate to the ranch. All right. Sorry. Quick break there. Because when you were talking, when you and I were talking about other iconic places and crab eyes in Oklahoma, do you, I think you were talking to, did you meet someone named Alicia yet? She's an artist. She's local from Oklahoma. She's big in the climbing scene there. I hire her to do some of my stickers and some of the art of my artwork, but uh, I'm just throwing my name in for the hat for her Yeah, that you should look into her for, uh, doing the crab eyes art because she is a local artist, but I'm going to, I'm going to share her Instagram with you because I want to do it. So I don't forget it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Beautiful. So yeah. And that's, and that's exactly how this works is, um, a hyper local assortment. So it's going to be very relevant to people who visit the area. So it's a good product for outfitters and local gyms to carry. But also, um, you know, if you're a climber and you're proud of, of where you, where you're from, it is your banner, right? Like you're repping your set wherever you go. Um, you know, and it tells us, tells your story. The designs we're working on with Latasha and Karen are more, um, focused on inclusivity in climbing. So, uh, we have a design rainbow ropes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, another design, uh, that Latasha made is the BIPOC fist. So it incorporates different, you know, skin tones, um, and kind of, and has like this, uh, has this text, uh, we climb stronger together. So it's, it's, we're trying to use this billboard, not only as a, a way to tell your story from the perspective of your local crags, Mm -hmm. but like who you are. And so there's a lot of directions we can take that in like endangered species, threatened species. One of the things I think, um, we're doing now because we just get started, we just launched the tarps, the graphic tarps for Arkansas crags. We have three designs, Sam's throne, Horseshoe Canyon ranch and Candy mountain, Mm -hmm. um, two days ago at the 24 hours in horseshoe hell event. So, uh, how they've been done really well, like overwhelmingly positive response. Uh, we're going to be expanding it quickly. Um, good chance it may see national, um, distribution with REI and or Moose Jaw in, in the spring of 2023. Um, but one of the things I think we've identified as an opportunity early on is like, why don't we just take $1 of every tarp we sell and donate it to the relevant coalition for that area. So for the three Arkansas designs, it'd be the Arkansas Climbers Coalition. Easy. For the designs we're going to do for Waco Tanks, E-Rock, Texas Climbers Coalition, so on and so forth. And in that way, we give back to the community. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. I, uh, you are a fucking renaissance man as far as Arkansas <laughs> climbing goes, dude. You kind of basically figured out what you wanted to do and just dove into it. Now, I guess, where do you, where do you kind of see all this go? Well, actually, before I jump into all that, so like, What's your relationship to outdoors? Do you rock climb a lot? Do you mountain bike, trail run? Like, where do you find joy in the outdoors when you're not providing a service for the outdoor community? For sure. So, um, I run a lot, um, not trail so much, more like just running around the, uh, you know, the city I live in. Um, 
I used to mountain bike when I was in the army. Um, that terrifies me. Yeah. I've had some, some close calls and <laughs> in my older age, uh, it may be less sustainable given my risk seeking, uh, nature. Fair. Uh, but with rock climbing, um, I found a sport that I can probably do like well into my fifties, sixties and beyond seventies. I don't know. I've seen Dude, that. have you seen some of the ages of the people getting after it out yeah. here? There are some seniors that will one out climb you and I under the table. And there's others out here who are just going like one lap an hour. We're just trying to get in one route per hour yeah. and hanging in and, you know, slow moving, but still, I think rock climbing is a beautiful sport. It's one of the few sports I think you can literally do until the day you die. Yeah. And like, I can't say that's true for a lot of, maybe swimming would be the only thing, but not even that, but there's, there's so many variations of it. You can move into Alpine, you can move in, you can boulder, you can sport climbing, you can track climbing, you can mix, you can ice, you can now canyoneering. Technically it falls within this realm of this world. You know, like there's so many avenues that you can do with this sport that is unique to it. So yes, I'm saying as a coach, I've coached people like 70 years old in rock climbing. Yeah. People used to say that about golf. Like, oh, you can do it when you're old. And it's like, well, you know, teach their own. But if I can climb, I'd rather do that all day than golf. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. The difference between climbing is climbing takes you to the far ends of the world. Golf will take you to the nicest resorts in the world. Yeah. That's probably about it. One thing I, I wanted to comment on, Mario, um, my wife challenged me recently on this. Uh, I guess the last few interviews I've done, I haven't um, paid due attention to the setbacks and failures. And there have been many in this venture. Um, like uh, for one, when we were early on and I was thinking about meter marking the ropes, uh, I was like convinced that we were going to do it with vinyl. So if you've seen tendon ropes and you've seen mammoth, you've seen how they mark the ends of their ropes with like their, you know, this is the diameter, this is mm -hmm. the length, and this is the brand name with like a, it's like a, it looks like a sticker, like a vinyl yeah, heat like transfer. Yeah, it's a little wraparound thing. Yeah. So I was going to use that. Um, but you know, it turns out like just super permanent ink is far more, uh, uh, it, it, it adheres far better and won't like chip away or fray with time, especially in the middle parts of the rope huh. versus a vinyl. Not to mention to adhere the vinyl, you need to use heat. And so, you know, using heat on nylon rope can get kind of tricky, tricky, but where we ran into issues was none of the, but it was actually just like quality control because we wouldn't get the same consistent quality with each. And you need to be perfect. You need to have perfect meter markings, not only in the right position, but like, like very legible. So if anything is thrown off of the vinyl transfer, it's kind of, it's worth you it. can't use the rope. Wow. So you don't want to mess that up. And so after we did our first few runs of that, it was clear it was not going to work. Like we could not manage quality control well enough. I was like, dude, that's it. Like the company's done. Like we kind of lived and died for like a month and a half. And then, um, so I was, I was like <laughs> very quickly went into depression, uh, for like 24 hours. But then my wife comes over, she's like, yo, you're just trying to mark these, right? Why don't you look at these new like inkjet printing has come a long way from, you know, our at-home printers in the nineties on paper. And they have these ones that can like spray permanent ink onto concrete, glass, and steel and fabric. You should look at that for your ropes. So she send, sends me some links. I peel myself off my depression couch and I start researching for the next like several hours. And I come up with like, yeah, this can work. Like there are products on the market that if we like nail the positioning, we can consistently hit quality every time we mark any meter on the rope. And she saved the company like hands down. Like, and it, there's that, like we have no company to we're back in business happened. I don't know, like another three times. Well, I mean, I think that shows that you guys are a team. And I also think that's the truth of starting any business. Like I'm sure there's a lot of times where people think they're going to close their doors, but obviously is in, and such is true, such is true for climbing. There's a lot of times when you're on the middle of a pitch or on a route and you're like, I'm just going to take, I'm going to come down. And then you're like, I'm just going to do one more move. I'm going to do one more move. Okay. Nah, I'm just, all right. I'm going to do one more move. I'm going to do one more move. And then sometimes you do take, and sometimes you look at it and you sit there and you sulk for a second. And then 30 seconds later, you're like, crap, I should have just done one more move. And I think that's part of the process, but that also shows that you guys are a well-oiled team and you're definitely blessed to have her. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. 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 She has pulled me from the fire many a time, <laughs> business and, and other otherwise. Good. Good. I'm psyched. Is she here? No. Um, 
just just like we're talking about. So she um, she's watching the kids back in Springdale uh, while I'm out here fucking off and <laughs> trying to make this business happen. Um, but yeah, well, it looks like you're doing good. I thought I felt like I saw actually maybe one or two of your ropes. I wasn't walking ton, but I felt like I saw some of your ropes out on the field this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I'm making light, but it, it's true. Like we've sold quite a few ropes this weekend and we sold dozens and dozens of tarps. Um, it, the, the tarps are taken off. Like that's definitely the future. And I think that's why national like REI and stuff are picking up on it. It's, um, it's a banner. It's a banner. It's a banner. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like if you have a banner that someone can wave proudly and be psyched on it, well, however it's used, you know, and I think it's, I think it's kind of symbolic because like the tarp technically is to protect your rope. The rope is protected technically to protect your life, but the tarp is the foundation of it. And what you are doing is putting what people, you are putting the symbol of people, uh, the symbol of people's experience that they're seeking after at the very foundation of when they begin their day. And it's also, you're also providing a product that will allow them continue to seek that adventure. So it's pretty full service. So, I mean, I think it's badass. That's just me. Thank you. Um, So how, like, what is the response that you're getting from the community about doing this? Because I I was telling Andy this, because we were chatting about you actually uh, in our previous, in the episode I just did before. But, you know, it's funny, I was like, Andy, I always thought there was a, a climbing company in Arkansas. He's like, there's climbing gyms, there's climbing stuff, but there's no company that makes climbing equipment in Arkansas. And I just like, I just dawned on me, like I just, with rock climbing and being the way it is in Arkansas, I just always assumed that it was. And so what has been the support and kind of what has been, has it been like launching this brand within this community? Because Arkansas climbing is a very tight knit community. Fact. It is like, like, like once you're in, you're in and you know, it is, it, but it's, it takes a while because there's just so much climbing. It's not that the community is closed off or anything like that. There's just so much to do here. It's unreal. Yeah. Fact. Um, super supportive has been, is, is the best way to characterize it. Um, that tight knit community, I would highlight the cl- climb Bentonville, the climb gyms, um, have been supportive. The Ozark, uh, climbing gym in Springdale, uh, the new gym that's coming into Fayetteville, Boulders and Brews, all three, um, first name basis with all the general managers and owners, and they are stoked to have the first company here for, for gear and apparel, um, down the road with the apparel. Uh, I saw the drop. Uh, who else? Uh, the Arkansas climbers coalition without a doubt. Like we love, I, I mean, I personally like love working with them, like their trail days, or donating static ropes to help their, uh, you know, bolt maintenance or mm-hmm. route development efforts. Um, who else? Oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the greenhouse outdoor recreation program. That's how we got, like we wouldn't exist if had it not been for I've them. I've never heard of this before. What are they? Who are they? They just launched in first time inaugural cohort, uh, their incubator. And so their first cohort opened application in September of 2022. They started, us. I was in that first cohort. There's four companies, um, all focused on outdoor recreation, whether it's a service or a product, um, and based in Arkansas, those were like the application prerequisites. Mm -hmm. And so then you kind of talk about it, you interview, um, we're lucky enough to be brought on. And what does it entail when you get in? Well, a series, I think it was like 12 weeks in duration, something like that Mm -hmm. of, um, speakers, um, they plug you in with resources. So how we filed the patent for the meter rope was through the lawyers that were introduced to us through this program. Oh. Um, they bring in experts on like social media marketing, like everything you'd need for a business and, um, funded by the Walton family foundation. They give all the cohort companies, $15,000 in non-dilutive grant money, like no equity stake asked. And so that's what really helped us pay for that first lawyer fee for the patent. And, buy up the first round of inventory and build a website and do all the things that have made us successful to the point we are now where we're thanks, especially in large parts of the tarps becoming very viable for like long-term, um, like cash flow. Okay. Yeah. Dude, I didn't know. Oh yeah. You had mentioned that before, but I guess like in my world, just working as a coach and this is like, I'm not in corporate America, but I forget that these things exist. And when I always think of an incubator, I always think of it like tech or big things like that, but I forget 
this is just really people who have access to means and want to support their community in whatever way they choose for an industry or as a whole. So the company's been, so the company's been business two years now. Uh, technically one full year from one like, year. from our articles of like foundation LLC yeah. to when we launched our first product two and a half months ago. Okay. So really like out there in the public face, like, Maybe three months. But you've been on the grind for it for quite a while. For quite a while. Yeah. Like a nah. lot of groundwork to lay to like finally get to a product. Yeah. Dude, that's a lot. It makes me have a new appreciation for my supplier partners at Walmart because it ain't easy. Some <laughs> <laughs> used to just like, ah, I want this or that's, that's trash. Don't, don't, don't bring me that. Like now, nah, man, you know how many like hours of people's <laughs> lives were spent on that product developing it? <laughs> Don't be so flippant about it next time. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I will say this, humbling your own business. I'm sorry, making your own business. I will say making your own business can be a very humbling experience. And I definitely know like making this podcast, starting my guiding company, doing everything that I have. It's like, you definitely, you take it. I know I have taken for granted how, how a lot of stuff gets created and how a lot of stuff gets brought to you. And then. I think now when you're on your end, I definitely can see how that changed your perspective real fast. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've got your business and you've got, uh, you've, you've got your business in this, like, where would you like to see, like, just dream big, like in, in five years, like, what would you like to see your business doing? I mean, I know you've said in peril that, but I guess maybe a better part of this, what do you want to be able to do with your business? That's like, a, I don't really care what you're selling. Don't get me wrong. I think your products are great. Thank you. I think all that, but the reality is, is I don't give a crap what you sell. What I care about is what you do and what you stand for and, and how you want to do and, and how you choose to do that. And so I guess in like in five years, what would you really like to be able to do? I love the idea of every tarp that's sold, you're giving back to local coalitions in that area. But like, yeah, what do you want to happen? What do you want to do? What do you want to change? Yeah. Um, so looking, looking into the future, um, I'd love to pivot, probably start pivoting away from me producing my own ropes. It's just a lot of cash to tie up in inventory and license out that design. Cause the end, the, the goal of creating it is to make climbing safer and it'd be far better to license that out to the big players who are already established and have their own machines to braid the ropes, um, and just make that the industry standard. Because guess what? Like the most expensive way that you can mark a midpoint is by, um, by pattern. You have to take, you have to stop the machine mid braid, change the arrangement manually of the spools and then create that new pattern, which is why they're the most expensive ropes on the market. But if you just meter mark them with permanent ink, like, uh, you can do that with them. You can automate that very quickly. You just huh. program the machine to like, all right, now do five, four, three, two. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it can, it can be a lot more cost effective when it's, when scaled. Yeah. That makes I don't sense. know without taking a sh ton of like investment that we'd be able to do that. So I'd love to license that out. Um, I also find it far more personally gratifying to work in the creative space with the artists and develop these tarps and put out a progressive message uh, in our products. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to lean into that and then, expand into other adjacencies, like maybe rope bags will be the next move. Yeah. Um, I mean, be a natural extension and, um, and apparel. So, uh, I'd also like to pass, I'm saying, I'm taking the single pitch instructor course in November, pass that. And then with some of my friends here, launch the first guide service in Northwest Arkansas, focusing on people who have never climbed before or who have never climbed outside of a gym before uh -huh. and giving them their first like safe experience outdoors. Cause there's a lot of development happening very close, like 15 minutes from the heart mm -hmm. of town. Um, we're lucky in that we have a lot, a lot of companies and capital and uh, in the bike industry for Northwest Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And so they develop all these trails and like right off those trails are some crags, you know, uh, not terribly tall, like maybe 25 feet but perfect for somebody who's climbing outside for the first time. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we stand up this guide service and we help steward for people's first experience into climbing in a positive, leave no trace. Like we can, we can be that voice for what we espouse as progressive ideals, leave no trace, environmental stewards through this guide service. Nice. Focusing on people who don't normally climb outside. 
And so bringing awareness to like, just how important it is to like, you know, everything I just described really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I'd definitely love to talk to you more in depth about that as from owning one and running one. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I'm sure there's a lot I could learn. It's very, well, yeah. And it's definitely different though. Like our demographics are so different. Cause like, you know, being in a, in a concrete cement jungle, like Dallas running one there, it's very different from here. Like this would be a dream, like being here, but that's awesome. Okay. then, so I like this because, you know, it's, it, there are so many companies, there are people who come on the market and the players and things like, not say players, but like there's businesses that come in and people start businesses. But I'm always curious of the intent of the person behind it because, you know, Andy just said this in a previous episode in the, in our previous recording, but you know, it's like, keep your North star, the experience that you want to have and, or the experience you want to share. And then you know, I add on, I think the money will always be there. It will start to flow. It'll start to follow. And I'm excited to see this come through. What is the name of, do you know the name of the company whenever it's going to be, is it already launched or is it like it's we're working not launched on it? Yet. We're, we're working on it. I'll, I'm going to sit for the exam in November and then I'll get my Wolfer January, February. And so we're hoping to launch by spring season, 2023, nice. about the same time as we put tarps in uh, brick and mortar retail stuff. Nice. And it's going to, is it going to be called the same as your real yeah. company? Like Lakaida guides and yeah. it'll just be a branch off. With that makes sense. Separate websites. That's the easiest thing to do. And the cool thing is, so I, I put a lot of like effort into the financial engineering of it. There is a path to where we could take a portion of every guide trip and put that into this fund where we can pay for um, apprentices. Oh, like after nice. seven trips, your single pitch instructor course is free. And then do three more trips and your exam is free. You get paid still. You get, yeah. As an apprentice, you'll get paid. But we're also taking some of my profit and the other senior guides profits, yeah, instructors profits and putting that towards your education so that you can grow up in our that company. fundamentally will change the game because single-handedly that's the one thing that's always stopped me from getting my rock instructor or because I've always wanted to become a single pitch provider and basically yeah. get up to my alpine but it's I mean it's thousands of dollars. Like I always like to tell people, people like, well, how much is it? I'm like, your single pitch is like getting your associates. It's not that, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but it is still a big deal. But like getting your rock instructor or getting up to your Alpine is, is you might as well be getting your bachelor's degree or your master's. Like it adds up because it's just not even the courses alone, but then you've got to think about like, have you ever looked into the rock instructor or the Alpine? No, I have no. So it's like, I might be wrong and someone will probably correct me, but I think the Alpine, it's like seven days in the backcountry for the course, seven days for another like course slash pre-evaluation and then five days for the exam. And these are in, you know, I mean, Colorado, California, in these rural small places. And so you've not only got to pay for these courses, have the time to take off and have the funds to be able for you to live, take do all that. And then if you're like a working person, you know, like still have enough money to like make sure everything else still runs for you. So it's, it's a massive, massive, massive commitment. It's huge. Yeah. And I don't think that that's why there's so many, just kind of saying it like it is. I mean, that's why like most people who I am, who have Alpine uh, have their Alpine or rock instructor in that. From what I've understood or even people who have had a very loving and supporting spouse that could either help them get to that course. They come from a lot of money or they just happen to grow up in an area where they could get these resources. They could get this. And they grew up in these small rural mountain towns. They grew up in these things that they have. And then the resources are just there because once, you know, you're, if you grow up in the community of the people who are providing these services, it's easier for you to get into it. So I think creating a pathway for people to get their guiding cert is completely, utterly bonkers and is revolutionary. Like no one does that. Like Thank I can you. tell you right now, like in my short, you know, 39 years on that, 38 years on, I said 39, wow. But 38 years on this dust ball and spending the last 20, you know, ish, give or take in the climbing industry, that is completely unheard of. And I think people want to do it but no one's willing to take the plunge because I think the biggest issue with guiding, and this is just what I've always expressed to people, guiding 
unless maybe you're coming from the perspective of you that you have or some other background, guiding is very rarely, is it a career path that you can do to have a sustainable living? It's just not like if you want to like pay your mortgage or pay your car note on a guiding, uh, being a guide, that's great. That's reasonable. If you're trying to raise a family, have a life and just, you know, doing the whole boot and caboodle, like it's different. You have to go to a different level. You need to become a different level. That's when you need to become this Alpine. That's when you need to get all up to that. But the reality of like what is accessible to most people, you know, not, you know, is single pitch. That's like what most people are going to do in their life. And I feel like you are really creating a barrier to like really bust that gap wide open. So good on you. That's amazing. Thanks, man. Yeah, dude, that's wild. Like as soon as you said that, I was like, that is trippy. And I'm, I don't think anyone has ever even attempted that. So it's going to be beautiful. It's leaving a legacy. That's a lot of stewardship. It's a lot of stewardship. Yeah. Ideally, I would be able to continue to work my job at Walmart until I retire but guide, you know, every mm-hmm. so often I have kids, right. I don't, I don't want to do it all the time, but if I can then take some of my, the pay that frankly, I don't just being honest, I don't really need that money, that mm-hmm. income and put it towards bringing up other people in guiding. Perfect. And then we establish more, um, credibility for rock climbing in Arkansas. We establish uh, better stewardship for our public spaces, all the things, um, and we give those students at the University of Arkansas, for instance. So this part of what came of this idea was having conversations with the student-led excursions at the U of A. So um, just students who don't necessarily have, you know, a AMGA certification mm-hmm. are leading these, these other students out on trips. And then I've talked to them. They're like, yeah, what do you want to do when you graduate? He's like, well, I guess we'll move to Dallas and get a job in tech. You know, I was like, well, do you, is that what you want to do? You want to keep guiding? And they're like, well, I'd love to keep guiding, but I don't just don't know how to do that. It's like, boom, let me help you get there. I will pay for your training. I'll pay for your exam. And I'd love it if you could commit like a year as a guide after that, after that, you do what you want, but we yeah. can, we can get you that income to potentially keep you in the state, keep your talent here and keep people going outdoors. I have no idea why I did that. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, yeah, once again, man, like that's completely, utterly, 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 utterly unheard of. I don't think anyone does that. And that's like, I'm excited for that. Uh, And it's interesting. It's like, you see this kind of growth. Like I think Arkansas, maybe for me, I feel like Arkansas has been this kind of like sleepy little giant for a long time. And now, especially out of Bentonville, it seems like so much opportunity and so much growth is happening because the state for a long time is always really considered even in the climbing world, like horseshoe is this weird phenomenon just because of how concentrated it is yeah. and what this place can really provide and offer as a service. Um, it's uh, it, once again, it's, it's this weird, weird, weird thing, but Arkansas as a whole, it's the, probably one of the, Arkansas, Missouri, and North Texas probably have one of the most committed, interesting relationships with climbing. And Missouri and North Texas have so much to thank Arkansas for all of this. And we've always, I've always felt like, you know, besides Cole and the people who are writing the guidebook, there really hasn't been like this really large community. It's always people traveling to the state. And it's nice to hear that you're actually building that more up from people who live here and are, are considering staying here and creating a life for themselves here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the goal. Man. So I guess outside of all of this, your business and that, do you have any other, like, I guess out, outdoor adventures or any personal ambi- ambitions that you're working towards? Well, we do have um, like three other product designs queued up that would be as different um, as metered ropes are from regular ropes, as graphic tarps are from regular tarps, um, focused on rock climbing shoes. Nice. Uh, and, uh, and crash pads. Those are, those are like the two big ones that I want to, if we can get up and running and get enough capital or take on more investors next year, I want to launch two other things and try those out, two other products. 
Um, but, uh, I, I, I dabble in real estate investment. So, uh, um, I bought a house here in Jasper with the intent to make an Airbnb. Long story short, uh, one of my neighbors said no, so I can't do that, but it's cool. Cause we got a long-term tenant and one day we will have the opportunity to make an Airbnb. So I can just mm-hmm. crash there when I want to climb at, at a horseshoe. Yeah. Um, but, uh, now my real joys, um, outside of all the business and corporate life are now that my girls are getting to that age where think they, 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 they want to participate. Oh, that's cute. How old are they? Seven, four, and two. So the seven and the four, uh, that's Alice and Penelope. They want to come running with me or they want to come bouldering or they want to go to the rock gym. So that's, that's what I live for those moments. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, dude, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. As a coach, I know that feeling. I mean, I've, I don't have my own kids, but I'm coaching people's kids all day. And when kids are psyched to be there and they're psyched to go along yeah. and they're psyched to be it, it's, they're infectious. Their energy is utterly, utterly infectious. It dude, that's takes awesome. you back. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, it's a give back from, for real. Kids are, kids are forever the secret to all happiness. They are. I mean, and they're also the secret to nightmares, but we won't go into that part too. Yeah. No, trust me. (laughs) Oh man. Well, dude, I'm, I'm excited to see where your company's going to go and I'm excited and I'm, I'm happy that you took a moment because I know we've, uh, we're kind of running on time here, but I'm really excited and I would love to have the opportunity to continue this conversation throughout the years and kind of follow your journey because, you know, like you're being bold. Like on the reels though, like you're being real, 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 real bold with what you're going and fortune favors the bold in my opinion. Um, John Luke Picard forever. But um, I want to see you succeed and I want to see changes in the industry. And there's conversations I would like to have with you. They're, they're going to be future conversations and not definitely off the mic topics, but there's, there's a wave of change that's coming through the world. And there's a wave of change and we all feel it. We all know it. And some are riding this maverick and some are bracing, hoping that they can stop the wave and others are just in panic and just don't know what to do. And I think our job as peoples, as climbers, with this wave of change that's coming through the world, you, at the end of the day, we're all navigating this little thing. We're trying to figure out how to get a little piece of it. And I think climbing and the outdoor community and the outdoor culture is finally there are enough people coming up in it that you were going to start to see the face of it change. And I think, you know, 20 to 30 years from now, the bus is going to, the bus, the vehicle of climbing is still going to be much the same, but the heart and soul and the passion and the faces and the people and the fuel that drives it is going to be revolutionary and very different. And I'm very excited to hear about what you're doing. And I think what you're doing is kind of the secret sauce that needs to be brought into this industry because it hasn't seen change. Like, I mean, I'm not nearly as old as half some of the people here who have been around, but like I've heard stories and a lot of stuff is still the same. And I'm really excited to see how this seed that you're planting is going to affect everything else around it and how it's going to cause things to change and grow beyond your own intentions of what you're trying to do. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be very beautiful. Like how do we make the tarps from recycled materials? That's top of my mind right now. I'm actively sourcing uh, post-consumer nylons that we can make into ripstop materials for the tarps. Um, Like uh, we're, we're, we're absolutely sitting. It's, it's happening. Like it's already happening. Like the sea change where, Climbing became an Olympic sport. And yeah. It's going to be in the next Olympics. Um, climbing became a household like um, concept when Free Solo won Best Documentary at the Oscars. And we have these celebrity climbers, and we have and those so, and we they gain more notoriety as they come up on the Olympic circuit, and it is given that credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're seeing some really cool things across climbing companies. Like I'd highlight, um, one company that we really look up to is, um, they're based out of Kansas city. Uh, right. Uh, so, so ill. Thank you. So ill. So ill. Yeah. So ill. They, I mean, 
they see the future. Like they lean into apparel in a way that's like, this is the lifestyle. Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, yes. Like that, like there's so much more we can do outside of just the gear we use to climb. Like there's, and that's kind of where I want to start taking any potential apparel we do is sustainable climb. Like it says climber in more ways than just the graphics. Yes. Like tell me you're a climber without telling me you're a climber. Boom. Yeah. That's no. where we're headed with that. I pick up what you're putting down. I pick up what you're putting down. Where it's like, oh, we plant a tree for every pair of shoes or like however we do it. But it's, it screams like climber without yeah. saying climber on it. That's beautiful. I like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, sir, um, if people want to buy your product, support you, get in contact with you, I mean, I imagine people are going to be applying for jobs with you. Yeah. Uh, like how do they get in touch with you and what do they need to do? Absolutely. So, uh, com is our website. We're on Insta, um, at Lakaida ropes. Uh, my email is Pedro at Lakaida ropes, um, So any, any one of those vehicles, uh, reach out to me. Um, if you, you know, looking to get started in your own business, that's another thing, like through the court program, I've learned how to now kind of start adopting a mentor mentality nice. to people who want to start their own companies. Cause we may be the first rock climbing company in Arkansas, but I don't want us to be the last. I'd love to see in 20 years, we have the same ecosystem that a Colorado or Utah has with like 10 different companies, all focused on climbing, all with climber ideals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making it happen. No, I know what you mean. Someone that told me, how do you feel about another guiding company opening up in Dallas? Like, I, I love it. Like good competition more people may only makes the sport better. If you only have one person dominating the whole thing, it's not a community. It's not community led. It's not community driven. It's not a culture that leads this thing. It's a person or it's an entity driven on money, not driven on like, all right, like what's going to make this whole experience better for all of us. When, um, uh, keep blanking on everybody's names right now, but the founder of Patagonia, Oh, um, Yvonne Chouinard. Yes. Chouinard. When he announced, right? Like a week ago, or just yeah, a few days ago. Yeah, that was big. That made me proud to be a climber. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Actually, it's funny. Do you know a lot about, about like what that was? Like the way like, they structured okay, so, it or? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not something that I can, I'm very good at explaining. I understand that he basically gave away the company to an organization that's going to support environmentally environmental uh what is it and environment uh environmental choices in the it's lobby and support environmental choices for the federal government am i like summing that down in a nutshell correctly i what the articles i read fo- cited him as specifically focused on fighting global warming okay um and so the yes broadly environmentally sustainable um for the interest of fighting global warming to preserve the earth in a very like I think that's what the letter yeah. the general, but specific to global warming. Yeah, dude, that dude's gangster. Yeah, man. He it inspires me. Like, just makes me like, dude, I need to, I can't just take a, okay, well, we'll get back to you about the, you know, post-consumer nylons for the tarps. Like, no, I need to push it. Like, we need to make this happen. We need to make guiding happen uh, in the state. Um, I also, I, I need to do this. I got a shout out in reform. They are uh, my production sewing studio for the tarps and hopefully a lot more products to come. They are a, a, a local nonprofit also founded by the Walton Family Foundation and their mandate is to make sewn trade, whether it's apparel or gear, um, an industry, stand up that industry in Northwest Arkansas and do so particularly um, for people from underrepresented minorities. So uh. they hired three people to support the growing business on the graphic tarps. So like we are actively, they may not be my employees, but we are actively creating they're, jobs. They're part of your family. Yeah. They're definitely part of your family. Dude, this is awesome. I'm excited. Like I see this like mushroom spore just going on and growing and I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Thank Sir, you. thank you for your time. Thank you, Mario. You're a beautiful individual. And um, I look forward to chasing your story. Right on. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Pedro. This man is a man after my own heart. I mean, I admire anybody who's a hustler, a go-getter, a real G. I mean, he's not quite an OG, but he's quell on the way. And if you want to support him, the link in our bio on all our social media platforms has his information in the show notes and the transcript of this episode. So you might have to do a couple clicks, but I promise you when you get there, there will be a discount code so you can purchase some of his gear, support him, get his rope tarps, get his ropes, which I love, and just help someone who's growing from the bottom. Listen, we all started from the bottom and we're just trying to get here. And this man's by no means at the bottom, but he's well on the way to the top. And I believe his suffering has allowed him to see some beautiful sins. So what does that mean? If you're not suffering, you got to ask yourself, was the sin even worth it at all?